We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three. One, two, three. Keep pounding. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. John Ellis is my name. Billy's got the day off today. But thank goodness we've got a great guest to, to fill the seat there. It's our good friend Greg Cosell from ESPN NFL Matchup. He's been doing the film work. Uh, with NFL Films for a long time, executive producer with that outfit, and is a good friend of ours, and he's uh, back on the show to talk Carolina Panthers draft. Greg, how are you, man? John, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. As always, it's a pleasure. Uh, you guys can follow Greg on Twitter. He's a great follow, and of course, uh, his work with Matt Bowen, who we had on this show a couple weeks ago, is second to none. Sal Pal as well. So it's always a pleasure to get your perspective on everything that's going on around the NFL landscape, uh, starting with the Carolina Panthers, of course. What a draft they had. I mean, everything fell in place in round one, Greg, in terms of either they wanted to go trade back, possibly. There was no real market for that, I don't think. So you end up with one of your choices of these three tackles. And the sense I got was Aquanu all along was their favorite, with some exceptions there in terms of the pass blocking. Let's get your take on Iki Aquanu, strengths, things he can work on a little bit, and what does he project to at the NFL level? Well, as we discussed, I think it was probably a year ago, I think ultimately Matt Rule would like this offense to start with the run game as the foundation. Uh, they obviously have a great back. If McCaffrey can stay healthy, he's he's obviously a top three, four back in the league. Um, so they want this offense to start with the run game. Iquano played left tackle predominantly at North Carolina State. He had four starts at offensive guard in 2020. But I'm sure he was drafted to be their left tackle. Now, you're dealing with uh, the best run-blocking tackle in this draft class. He was a grown man as a run-blocker, John. Um, Heavy hands, core strength, power, uh, finisher. Uh, I mean, he just wanted to put people into the ground, but he did it, you know, competitively and legally. There was none of that late stuff. He just was a grown man as a run blocker. Um, He could function, I thought, at a high level, 
both in, in zone schemes and in gap schemes, both as the play side down blocker, and you could also pull him across the formation if you choose to. I didn't think he had a limitation in either concept. Um, when all said and done, his competitiveness and downright nastiness, um, that just jumped off the film with every game I watched. And there's no question that he can run block. And that's where it starts with him. Greg Cosell is our guest, ESPN, NFL Films. Greg, I think that's spot on. Uh, when you look at what Carolina did last year, you talked about Brady Christensen. And I know uh, we're focused more on what they're doing right now. But I think it's so important when you look at what Carolina struggled with last year, obviously, it was a mess in terms of picking up the ET stunts, in terms of picking up basic core things in the pass protection game. But with Aquanu, and I talked with Bowen about this last week, the thing I mentioned when I look at the tape is the pass protection seems like it's fairly fixable. And it's not like it's egregiously bad. It's just not as refined as like a Charles Cross your thoughts on what James Camp and the new offensive line coach can do to help him maybe stay in line with his feet a little bit. I think he just gets a little aggressive there at times, maybe steps out of his shoes and passes. Yeah, I think he has some inefficiencies, and I made the point uh, in my notes that I thought that they could be coached. Um, he had a tendency to strike with both arms, which at times created balance and body control issues, and that negated his power and his technique. Uh, normally, they teach O-linemen the independent arm technique where you strike with one arm, not with both. Um, so what would happen is his hands and his feet would not always be in sync and pass protection. And that, as I said, would result in balance and body control issues. Um, at times he would overset, which made him susceptible to inside counters. Um, so he needs coaching. He needs a, not a ton of reworking, but a little bit of reworking in terms of pass pro. Um, look, there are a lot of coaches who believe that ultimately he'd be an all pro guard from day one. But on this Carolina team, he's going to play a left tackle. I think he I think for the most part, teams dra would draft him as a left tackle. And then if you felt like he couldn't do it, then you know you could move him into left guard. But I think that he's clearly starting as a left tackle, and he certainly is for the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I think it's a good fallback plan, too, if it doesn't work out at left tackle. You've got some, I don't know, maybe a stretch here, but some Larry Allen type yeah. of traits at left guard there where he can kick inside. And either way, you've got yourself a potential Pro Bowl-level guy on your left side there. Greg Cosell is our guest, NFL Films, ESPN NFL Matchup. Greg, let's talk quarterbacks. Obviously, there was an interesting slide there. I don't think we were totally surprised that nobody went number six at quarterback. Kenny Pickett's first off the board. But Matt Corral, and I've listened to a lot of your perspective on the Tapeheads podcast through iHeartRadio. It's a great show, by the way. You and Bob do a, a fantastic job, by the way. Um, and I, I agree with that. I had a chance to look at his film because I started getting some intel early in the spring that Matt Corral, look, <laughs> Ben McAdoo had mentioned RPO early in his presser, and then some team people tell me, look, you know, keep an eye on this kid. And I think you're right. It's predefined. It's all, you know, not getting to the backside quite yet in terms of full field, but he's got a quick trigger. And I think the one thing you said, it, it struck me as like, okay, bingo, this is why Greg Cosell's the best ignore the truck stick type of hits in the open field because he'll last about a week and a half doing that in this level. Fred Warner, guys like that will blow him up. So you got to take some of that tape with a grain of salt. What's your analysis, though, on Matt Corral? I know he's not ready right this minute. 
how soon can he get up to speed with Ben McAdoo and what's your projection on him? Yeah, I know Ben McAdoo a little bit. I think he's really good. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the, the bottom line with Corral, I was actually, and I've been around him, uh, and I was actually surprised when I saw that he came in, John, at 6-1 and 5 eighths. I don't think he looks like that on tape. And I think one reason he doesn't is he tends to have a little bit of a lower delivery. And I think they're going to need to work on that a little bit. You can't totally change a guy's delivery. But if you want him to throw the ball inside with those short, quick throws, he's going to have to be a little – his arm angle is going to have to be just a touch higher. Um, But he does have a tight snap, compact delivery. There's little range of motion. He can snap it off. You know, the bottom line is he played in a college offense, Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's job, as you know, John, is to win college games. Um, So he ran a highly schemed tempo, high percentage, defined one-read pass game with a strong emphasis on quick rhythm throws off both play action and RPO action. There was not a whole lot of straight straight drop back pass until down in distance or until game situation demanded it. And people need to understand that when you play tempo, that regulates the defense and it gives the quarterback a pre-snap read. The defense can't communicate and adjust when they're playing against tempo offenses. Mm -hmm. So all that becomes relatively easier for the quarterback. All of these things won't happen to the same degree in the NFL. So he's going to have to learn more about pass game concepts, full field reads, things that NFL quarterbacks have to be able to do. Because at some point, John, as you well know, in the NFL, you need a drop-back passing game. Yep, you do. Greg, one of the things you told me when we spoke last year, and then you and I talked quite a bit off air, but it stuck with me. It's what Troy Aikman told you about, I believe it was putting the ball where it needs to go. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't do that, you've got nothing. And we got nothing. You got nothing. I mean, that's yeah. part of it. You also mentioned a quote, and I you remind me who said this. This was relative to Sam Darnold. I think it was Merrill Hodge. Coaches have all the power but no control. Is that what it was? Or all yes. the control but no yeah. power? It's a great quote. And it's I a think great I, quote I, because you know we always talk, John, as as you do too, because I know you know I see you work all the time, obviously on social media. Um, you know, a lot of things can be coached, and when you talk to coaches, they'll tell you that most things can be coached that doesn't automatically mean they'll be executed in the game situations. So, uh, you know, I think, I think that that's one of the things that people have to understand that coaches do coach. Uh, you know, you go to training camp. I've been to many, I've been fortunate in my career to, to be in training camps where they let me sit in on meetings and, you know, coaches say, Hey, you're a coach for three days, just hang out, go to whatever meetings you want. So, I mean, I've seen all this stuff. This stuff does get coached. Um, and, Contrary to what people might believe, just because a team is 5-11 and 11, or now it's 17 games, 5-12, and 12, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the coaches are bad. Um, these guys work really hard. These guys are nuts, these coaches. I mean, they are nuts in a good way. Yes. Um, they work at this stuff. So just because it doesn't get executed doesn't mean they're bad coaches. 
No, they're not. I mean, we've driven that point home too. So much of what I've learned comes from guys like you, Greg, in terms of my development in this business, just trying to get perspectives, okay? And the hot take game, you and I don't play that. We've yeah, I don't do the hot that. take game. No, I don't either. Yeah. I mean, it, because honestly, you know, we throw a few memes and funny laps out there, but when it comes down to really breaking down what we're looking at here, we're totally fair. So you got to look at like Sam Darnold. And again, we'll hit on Sam real quick and get on yep. to the rest of the draft. I mean, we talked about this very topic last year, and I, I kept drilling it to our listeners and our, our followers out there, the foot-eye alignment issue with Darnold. It's been an issue since USC. The turnovers comes in waves there with, with Sammy, and I just don't know. I know last year was a strange year for Carolina. They fired their offensive coordinator. We can debate if that was the right move or not, but I, I think we both respect Ben McAdoo quite a bit. Yep. And Scott Fitterer yesterday had said on Pro Football Talk and some others as well, he's mentioned that Sam is going to be our number one quarterback going in. Is there still a chance from a coaching perspective after four years that's a lot of tape. That's a lot of experience. That's a lot of time not to be able to break habits. Can right. Ben McAdoo and Sean Ryan correct that? Or is it just what it is at this point? Um, my guess is that Ben and Sean will think they can correct it uh, because that's what coaches do. And that's what they should think, John, as you well know. They should. Ben McAdoo is not coming in and saying, oh, this is what Sam Darnold in, he is. He's no good. You know, we just have a bad quarterback. There's no way they're thinking that. You know that. Um, yeah. So the question is, they know what his concerns are and the issues are. So the question is, can those be truly addressed or do you have to try to build an offense and now you get into situational football where you can kind of try to work around that to some degree? Okay, yeah. look. I've spoken to coaches who said, hey, Sam Donald threw a lot of interceptions going back to high school. He threw a lot of interceptions in college. You knew he was going to throw a lot of interceptions in the NFL. So maybe he's going to be that guy to some degree no matter what. Uh, and you just have to try to work around it. Look, as, as I said, at some point in the NFL, you have to have a drop back passing game. At some point in the NFL, it's third and nine. You can't hide your quarterback. No, you can't. So, you know, can you help him? Yes. Um, and that's why McCaffrey being healthy is really important. That's why addressing the offensive line is really important because you're trying to help him to the point where uh, you're not living in long yardage. And that's why having a good defense is important because you don't want Darnold to be in situations where every week or every other week, he f you have to come back from two touchdowns in the second half. You know, so there's all kinds of things that play into your entire team that can help your quarterback. But is Sam Darnold all of a sudden going to become Joe Burrow this year? That's not likely. No, it's not. When I talk to scouts, one of them calls them elevators, these quarterbacks like Burrow and others who can elevate everyone yep. else around them when conditions aren't ideal. And I think there are tiers of quarterbacks we pigeonhole people into unfairly. But the tape also shows – I'll give you an example, and maybe it's a little bit unfair. Jimmy Garoppolo would be a good example of a guy, health notwithstanding, that in a scheme and a system is ideal inside the numbers and gives them what they need, but has had a hard time in big moments elevating when the talent around him isn't ideal. A good example, again, would have been the playoffs run he's had there. Uh, but again, we'll see what Carolina does at quarterback. We've heard Baker. We've heard Jimmy. I don't want to get too much into that today because that's all speculation. Let's talk draft. Get back to Brandon Smith, linebacker Penn State. Now, look, he flies. 
He's got some Thomas Davis-level energy to him when he's getting after the ball. The ball is the issue with this guy. Played weak side, strong side, was a huge recruit out of high school. Uh, but, but, but we're looking at some issues there in terms of his role shifted a little bit, if I'm not mistaken, his senior year. They tried to do the Micah Parsons thing, and his production was a little bit limited. What's your stance on Brandon Smith, the linebacker from Penn State, whom the Panthers now have on their roster? Well, I thought he was a fourth-round pick for this reason. Um, he was one of the most frustrating players for me to evaluate, John, given the sharp distinction between his athletic and movement traits and measurables and his play on the field. I mean, this guy is over 6'3 and 250 yeah. and is a great athlete, but he really didn't play like that all the time. If he did, he would have been a top 40 pick because there's not many guys 6'3, 250 who move like he does and who have those kinds of measurables. I mean, his 10-yard split was like many wide receivers in the 40-yard dash. Um, yeah. So he's a higher-level tester. He's got strong, athletic, and explosive measurables, but I didn't think his, his – tape on the field reflected that and matched that. But at the end of the day, you're dealing with a big, fast athlete. He's got explosive traits. Um, I would say that he didn't show a lot of snap and suddenness to his movement, even though that's in his body. I don't think whether he didn't see it, whether I I can't speak to that. You know, you'd have to be around him every day to know that. Uh, And I thought for a big guy, John, that he did not play with, with the the kind of overall physicality and functional strength that, again, I think is probably in his body, but he just didn't do it. I mean, I made the final point in my transition on my uh, evaluation sheet that if the light goes on and the flashes in his game become the foundation of his game rather than the exceptions, that he could become a higher level three-down linebacker. But that, at this point, is an open question, and that's why he's a fourth-round pick. Yeah, no question about it. Fascinating prospect. Greg Cosell's our guest, ESPN, NFL matchup, and, of course, executive producer for NFL Films, Cade Mays. Now, you and I were talking off air. This is a guy yeah. you like. You like Cade a lot. Look, 6'4 and a half, 3'11, has a ton of snaps from the SEC. Went dying sure again. When you, when you play SEC, you know the deal. You're going against NFL caliber guys, even at the bottom of the barrel of that conference. 18 at right guard, 13 at right tackle, played all right tackle last season. What did you see on tape from uh, Tennessee's 6'4", 3'11 guard? You know, and as you probably, when you researched him, he was a five-star recruit. I mean, this yep. kid was a big-time recruit coming out of um, – uh, High school, and he actually went to Georgia first, so you know yep. he was a big-time recruit. Before yeah, I think he, he was going to replace Andrew Thomas, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I think he's a guard in the NFL. I mean, again, I've spoken to people who know a little more about O-line play than I do, but I think he ultimately fits what Carolina wants to be. And, again, without knowing Cade Mays, and, you know, it's easy for me to sit here. You know, it's obviously May 12th. Uh, you know, we can say whatever we want and sound <laughs> relatively smart. Uh-huh. But it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a starting guard on this team because his game is built on power and strength and tenacity and competitive toughness, John. And ultimately, I think that's what they want their O-line to be because it's going to start with the run game. And I think he's got the kind of playing personality that can be a tempo setter. He's that kind of guy. Um, so, uh, you know, even though he's got some things to obviously clean up or he wouldn't have been a sixth-round pick, 
I, it would not surprise me if he's one of those guys that ends up being a starting guard in this league. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's uh, news to a lot of people's ears right now. Good news because, uh, like I said, you put on five minutes of tape last year, especially the Miami game of Carolina's interior offensive line. Oof, boy, I'm telling you, man. Yeah, it, it was not good. It was not pretty. I mean, ultimately, you know, ultimately what you want to do, too, with your O-line, particularly since Sam Darnold will be your starting quarterback, obviously, to start the season. You know, we know Matt Corral, too, has been very public about some of his issues. It's probably why he dropped to the third round. I'm sure in a truly ideal world, because he has, they still have to work through those personal issues, which, as I said, I'm not speaking out of school. He's been very public about them. Yeah, right. um, that those things, you know, they'd rather him not have the pressure of being an NFL starter week one or week two. You know, they'd, sure. they'd probably like him to work through what it means to be an NFL quarterback, what's involved not only when you're at practice but off the field because when you're an NFL starting quarterback, it's a 24-hour job. Yeah. It's not, hey, let's just show up to practice. Um, so anyway, but Definitely. getting back to the point I was trying to make is with Darnold, the other factor is – you, you really want to shore up what's in front of him. You mm-hmm. want to shore up the, the center and the two guard positions in, from a protection standpoint. Because keep in mind, the way protection works is centers and guards control the depth of the pocket, John. Okay, mm-hmm. so they have to be able to sink and anchor. They can't be pushed back. They, so they control the depth. Tackles control the width of the pocket. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so they can't be squeezed inside. So ultimately, with a guy like Darnold, you want the depth of the pocket to really be controlled because if he starts to feel that being pressured up the middle, that's where his mechanics fall apart. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's where he gets the happy feet. And, he, you know, the problem with Sam, and he's got to get better with this, is the feet are happy even in the clean pockets. And I think that's part yeah. of the, the, the PTSD, if you will, in terms of, Early on, going through the struggles in New York, and again, you and I have talked about you can't blame coaches for everything. I get that. So let's not throw this on Adam Gase or Joe Brady or whomever it might be. But, yeah, he's going to have to learn how to, in a clean situation, just breathe, relax, and release, as they say, and just put the ball in the dock. Yeah, he's he's one of those guys. And, you know, look, a lot of quarterbacks look totally different. So you don't want to just say this is why he's not a good quarterback uh, or hasn't been up to this point. But he definitely – even as you said in clean pockets, has the look of a guy that's playing a little fast. Um, yeah, that that just may be who he is. Uh, you know, even when he's played well, that's probably what he looks like. But yeah. so that probably won't change. Uh, Killon Barnes. Uh, he, now this is interesting. This is their seventh round pick, and I believe he ran the fastest time at the combine. And this is something obviously that is big with Matt Rule and, and Scott Fitter. It's athletic testing, uh, relative athletic scoring. You've seen the charts out there. And this is yep. something they're, they're very big on. Uh, and what, what would you make of a corner such as Barnes, who doesn't necessarily have, I, I would think, a great shot to crack the lineup. But boy, on special teams, put him on gunner. And you've got Johnny Hecker back there booming it now. There's some potential value there. Well, and I think that's, you know, again, I don't know Scott Fitter well enough to know what his overall philosophy is, but there are clearly teams and organizations that believe when you get late in the draft that you draft traits and you hope you can then coach and mold those traits into being a player. Um, other teams have philosophies that they like in the later rounds to draft production because they, they've seen it on tape. Um, but Barnes is a traits player. Uh, 
I didn't study him in great detail, but I did watch Baylor's defense quite a bit because they had some other players I looked at a little more carefully. Um, but Barnes is, is a traits player that at this point is not really a good corner yet because if he was a really good corner with his traits and his size and his length, he would not have been a seventh-round pick, John, as you know. Right, right. Yeah, that's the key to remember. I think it's the same thing with the quarterbacks, too, and this is what I tell Panthers fans. You know, you got the jersey swaps on social media and the, the hype about Corral. And, look, he's a, he's a kid that's got a lot of upside. But how many third-round quarterbacks, Greg, step right in and take the starting reins and roll with it? It happens, but it's pretty damn rare. So I think Panthers need to recalibrate their – at least the fan base needs to recalibrate their expectations. We don't have the savior yet. That's not where we're at. We're very developmental right now. And clearly, I would think, they did not have a second-round pick, right? They did not. Thanks to Sam Darnold's trade, that was part of that. Right. So obviously they addressed – they did not feel there was a quarterback worthy in this draft of being taken with the sixth pick in the draft. And that's obviously based on their scouts and their study. They believe that, and that's fine. But then after that, you know, they wanted to come out of this draft with a quarterback. I don't know how they had the quarterbacks rated on the board. Um, when they took Matt Corral, were there were, uh, were the other any of the other quarterbacks gone at that point? Uh, yeah, we actually Corral came after uh, he was fourth, I believe. Yeah, he so he came Willis, after Ritter and Willis. Ritter and then Pickett early on. My understanding oh, is third. Okay, this, this could be smoke. But throughout the process, they had Corral right up there at the top. But here, here's the thing, and you know how it works in these rooms with scouts, coaches. It was a very thin margin between these guys, and there were a ton of opinions. Right. So there was never anything close to a consensus. But given the fact that it was a horse race, a close horse race, he was right up there near the top of the board. To me, is it a half measure, though? I mean, I, I don't want to say you know he doesn't have a potential to be good in this league, but just to get a quarterback for the sake of it, I mean, you can't get into the, the the mind of a GM. I get that, but if you're in that position, do you do you feel that's a bit of a reach? Well, I would say Matt Corral in the third round would not necessarily be a reach. Okay, um, I think you're dealing with a guy that clearly has talent, um, throws the ball well. Um, putting aside the personal stuff, I can't address that. No one can. Um, are there things that need to be worked on? Obviously but he's a high-level competitor. He throws the ball well. I think it's evident watching his tape that he's mentally and physically tough. Um, You know, it's just a question of now learning. How quickly can he learn? How quickly can he assimilate the information? Um, How quickly can he become a quarterback that can win before the snap of the ball? Because to be a great quarterback in this league, you have to win before the snap of the ball. It's become very in vogue to say that you have to be able to run around and make plays. Um, I think there's a balance there. I think that if that's the reason you're drafting a quarterback, and I'm not suggesting that's the reason they drafted Matt Corral. I don't think that's the reason. Um, But I think if that's the reason you like a quarterback, to me, I think that's the wrong reason as your starting point. I think when all said and done, because as you know, John, the quarterback position is a subtle, nuanced, detailed, disciplined craft position. It's not a let's roll the ball out and run around today position. Are there times where you'd like your quarterback to be able to do that? Yes. But that, to me, should be the parachute, not the starting point. Um, So I think Matt Corral, they see him 
as a quarterback that can play in this league at a reasonably high level. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. To that point, last question. Greg Cosell, NFL Films, ESPN, NFL Matchup. Last question. Uh, maybe last question. We'll see how much time we have here. Yeah. Because <laughs> we could talk all day. I mean, look. Right, right. We, it's like I tell people all the time, we do this pod, and then we get like 45 minutes off air. Matt did the same thing last time. So I'm trying to make sure we get all of it on tape here. Um, the RPO system. Help our yeah. listeners understand. Okay, the RPO, I, I guess, would not be one size fits all. That's a good way to put it. The way Lane Kiffin ran it there at Ole Miss might be different from the way, let's say, Nick Foles ran it with Chip Kelly uh, back in the day in the Philadelphia scheme, which is why a lot of people mention, okay, you know what? Nick Foles is available. Maybe that's a good mentor for a guy like Corral if Sam's out of the picture, RPO type of game. But, but explain to us what Ben McAdoo, because from what I gather, Ben McAdoo is not like a scheme-specific type of guy. It's just about, you know what, let's be flexible. Let's work our personnel into what we're going to do schematically. He comes from the West Coast principles, obviously. Yep. But what will that look like in your view, if you had to estimate? Will they sort of sprinkle it in? Because they did some of this with Sam. They've done it with Newton in the yeah. past. What, what's your sense of how they'll integrate that? It's not going to be just full-blown catering to Matt Corral in the beginning, but eventually no, no. I would assume they would want him to have that in the game, but not as too much of a blankie because he needs to learn how to go full field. Well, you also can't live in the NFL just running an RPO offense. That's right. College football is different. Um, and it's different for a couple of reasons. Number one, the hash marks are much wider in college football. So what you have is the wide side of the field in college football is very hard to defend. Okay. And that gives you a lot more space. And that means that defenders have to declare much almost by alignment. And it gives the RPO game. It, it's easier to run. Whereas in the NFL with the, the hash marks, you know, tighter, the game is played more in the middle of the field. And therefore, second level defenders, John, don't have to declare quite as much. So ultimately, you really need to try to manipulate them. And your quarterback has to have a really good feel for what a specific defender is doing if you're going to run the RPO game. The other issue with the RPO game is it's not truly a base run game. Even though there's a run element to it, obviously, because it's called a run pass option. The Chiefs got into this problem a year ago. They like to run a lot of RPOs, but the problem is, is now it's up to your quarterback to make the decision. So you end up, if your quarterback decides he wants to throw it, and what quarterback doesn't like to throw it, right. um, you end up not having a real run game. And at some point, I know a lot of people believe the run game is not that important in the NFL. I would beg to differ. It's a matter of degrees. That's a different conversation. But the point I'm trying to make is, is the RPO is not a defined run game the way you line up and say, hey, this is an inside zone play or here's power or here's counter. You know, it's not a true run game because it's based on the quarterback's worldview of what he sees. Um, so you can't live on RPOs. You can incorporate them. And I don't know – you know, Ben McAdoo's background was obviously the Giants as a head coach. Years and years in Green Bay as Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach, they did yeah. not run RPOs. So, right. uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure he, look, all coaches know this stuff, but I don't think he's done a lot of it in his more recent coaching background. 
Yeah, and to your point uh, about the RPO, folks get the misnomer that, okay, RPO is zone read running. It's not necessarily that. It's, it's no. a, it's, it, you're, you're really – and Nick Foles is a good example of somebody who ran this to perfection with, with – if I recall, is with Chip Kelly when he had that amazing statistical run yeah. that year. It's primarily designed to create conflict misdirection and also present the running game as a potential option. But you don't have to have a quarterback you know, like Newton did for years with you – know, built like Julius Peppers. This is not Matt Corral. So putting our listeners at ease here, I agree with you, and I've said this for months. If it's Matt Corral with his frame – Look, it ain't going to work. And if it does, I would put him in a room and, and I'd be Sean Ryan saying, you know what, here's, here's some cut-ups of Russell Wilson running with security, getting himself to the boundary, getting down. Because in this league, that's one reason why Russell has survived. He gets you the bonus yards, but he doesn't put his body out at risk. No, and, and you know, keep in mind one thing, too. Anytime there's an option, the, the defense can dictate what you do. You know, if, if you recall what happened when the when the zone read became fashionable, I know it started a lot when, um, with Colin Kaepernick back, you know, in that Super Bowl season. You know, it was new to the league, and a lot of defensive coaches weren't sure exactly how they wanted to defend it yet. But what starts to happen is coaches can take away the option and force the quarterback to, to hand the ball off. And that's what happened a lot with Seattle is teams basically said, you know what, we're not going to let Russell Wilson run and get on the edge. So we're just going to make sure that that unblocked defender stays outside and we're going to make him hand it off. And you know what? We have a lot of guys in the middle of our defense and we're going to make the back run into the middle of the defense. You know, you can take away the option as a defense. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, Greg, you've been kind with your time, man, as always. Uh, if you can, just for a moment before we wrap up shop here, give us your sense of, you know, we talked about Coach Matt Rule last year, and you said, you know, you know of Matt a little bit, you know his background. One of the comments you make, you're, you're a seer here. You kind of saw what was coming. <laughs> you said very clearly, I put this clip out there multiple times, Matt Rule wants to run the football. And, you know, I told people this early on. They're like, you know, you're crazy. He's Joe Brady. He's all about, you know, going 50 protection and going five. I said, no, listen, he is going to want to be a bully ball guy, shorten the game. And if you hear him talk, you've heard these comments like, we don't want to put it all on the quarterback. We want it to be a team collective effort. What do you sense that uh, is now with relation to their identity moving forward? I think it's sort of coming together. McCaffrey stays healthy. Dante Foreman is running back too. You've got a run-blocking line that can go gap scheme, can go wide zone. Yep. And, and McAdoo obviously has experience in terms of the NFL game. And James Campen, one of the better line coaches in this league, will now coordinate that line. So your sense of where we are now in terms of Carolina – leaning on the running game in a pass-heavy type of league. Yeah, um, and, and here's how I'll answer that. Because I think when people hear run game, they think, oh, you can't play like that in the NFL. Yeah. One thing I learned early on is there's many ways to win, and there's many ways to create explosive plays. I think very often people have the sense that to create explosive plays in this league, you've got to spread it out, you know, go, go three wide, four wide, put your quarterback in the gun. There's multiple ways to create explosive pass plays because that's the goal of every offense. You want to create explosive pass plays because everybody knows that it can be very difficult in this league to consistently have 
12, 13 play drives that eat up 80 yards. That's hard. So it's how can you produce explosive plays? And this almost gets back to the initial part of our Sam Darnold conversation. With a quarterback like Sam Darnold, like a quarterback you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo, those are quarterbacks where you try to create explosive plays through tactics. Yep. So, you know, you don't – it's not like you have Matthew Stafford with the Rams being in, in empty more than any team in the league last yep. year yep. and the Bengals being this team that was second most empty snaps. You know, you don't want to do that with Sam Darnold. So you can tr- you try to create explosive plays by working off the run game, working off run personnel, whether it's two tight ends, uh, whether it's condensed formations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you do it with personnel and formation. That's how you try to create explosive plays. Maybe you do it with a sixth offensive lineman to make sure you max protect. But yeah. there's many ways to do it, John. And, I, you know, I think people need to understand that there's not one size fits all and only one way to do that. You know who was one of the best, I thought, just looking at film over the years was Sean Payton in terms of stacking the run to generate the deep shot. And you talk about, you know, what's so fascinating as a play caller, and again, we're just talking to people around the league, you've done this many more years than I have, but what Sean did a great job of, I thought, was the extra, you know, the the, the basic 6XL package. We've got the extra O-lineman. So you present situationally in a run situation, but you've got, you know, max protected, maybe a one- or two-man route, and you take a shot on the post, he would do – you could almost sense it. It was out of a quick chain situation or out of a timeout or in a weird field position type of nuance. So those are the fascinating things about studying tape, and I think that's something you do lean on in the run game. You see, you know, everybody's got their way of doing things. Shanahan, obviously, you know, it's a wide zone boot concepts and, you know, getting crossers and deep routes, and it's all established from a good foundational run game. So I think, you know, again – it, there is a misnomer. You're right that, you know, if you go old school and you pound the ball 40 times up the gut, yeah, you got to have some purpose behind what you're doing. And it's not just about, oh, we suck. We got to take the air out of the ball to shorten the game. It's all about, you know, let's generate explosive plays in the pass game off of play action from an successful run game. And that's why McCaffrey's health is so critical to all of this because he's the key cog, Greg. If, if Christian can't Correct. stay healthy – they can't maximize their potential. If he can go 17 games, that could change the entire landscape for guys like Sam Darnold and everybody. Of course. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned guys like Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, they play with a fullback. They played more 21 personnel than any team in the league last year, over 40% of the snaps that Kyle Juszczyk played. But there's no way that he's thinking – based on that, well, my purpose in doing this is to shorten the game. That's not what he's thinking. Not at all. He's trying, he's thinking of breaking down the defense. You know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to present clean looks for your quarterback. Yes. You know, that's ultimately what you're trying to do. And you do that through the use of personnel. You do it through the use of formation. You do it through the use of changing tempos. Maybe you go some no huddle. You do it with your cadence. There's many ways you can do this to try to get clean looks for your quarterback before the snap of the ball. Ultimately, you're trying to give your quarterback as much information as possible before the ball is snapped. Lastly here, J.C. Horn missed most of the season last year, the corner from South Carolina. He was obviously drafted number eight overall. You and I talked about J.C. last year and his length, his traits. And to me, that's tough because you only get two and a half games of tape, but it was really good tape. He played the slot, played the X. Good player. Played everybody. Good player. Uh, 
to me, and, and give me your thoughts on this, it is like getting an extra draft pick. And I hate to rationalize it, but he was on the shelf for so long and now he's healthy. You've got this surprise package coming back into the fold. Oh, yeah, there's J.C. Horn. And now you've got C.J. Henderson, which is an upside type of trade they made. First round pick, they traded for him. Uh, your thoughts on J.C. Horn, though, getting back into year two. Uh, what did you see on tape of him coming out of college? And, and, and what's your read on his ability to become what we feel could be a perennial Pro Bowl type of guy? Well, I agree with that. <clears throat> I think that J.C. Horn is, has everything you want in a corner – and I'm curious, you know, how they use him. Um, you, you know, I think he, he, to me, his traits suggest outside corner, but I guess they could also put him in the slot when they go to their, their nickel or dime. Um, yeah. I, w- what is their plan at this point? Cause obviously look, CJ Henderson is a very talented guy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's another guy, though, that's had some issues, apparently. Um, so yeah. I don't know how that's going to play out. Um, they still have Dante Jackson at the other corner, right? He's still yeah. there. Um, yeah, so I, I just to answer your question on that, I, I think their, their game plan is to be determined. But, you know, Phil Snow ran some weird concepts. I mean, even Aaron Rodgers talked about this in their first year down here running this program, that it was a college type of defense, and it threw them off. It was different with that three three five, that 505 tight stuff they run up front. Right, right. And in the secondary, they were running a lot of three high safeties. So it was really kind of throwing them off his game. Now, since then, and this is something Bowen had talked about with us, they were the leading team in cover three in 2020 and last year they were the leading team in man press so it's like we've got the horses now to do it and they've got big sure. long guys so horn i think ideally they want to put out there on the outside but you got to think of the division i mean is gronk coming back who knows but like kyle pitts is a great example of a great scheme type of deal for jc horn because they faced each other in college they were competitive i think he might shadow him at times you kind of have to. You also have Drake London to worry about now. So the yeah, receivers no, are mean, getting better in this division. I think that they probably have a type as far as what they want with corners because if you just look at what they've drafted, look, they traded for Henderson. He's a he's a tall corner. Yep. They, they drafted J.C. Horn, a tall corner. Yep. They drafted Keith Taylor from Six Washington, three, yep. who's a, a tall corner, who got meaningful snaps a year ago. Even though he was a seventh-round pick, they drafted Kalon Barnes, who's a tall corner. So clearly, they would prefer taller corners that have length than shorter yeah. corners. They did not draft Dante Jackson. This this, this group was not there. Yeah, so not. you know, we'll see what happens with that as they go forward. Um, you know, I think Xavier Woods was a good signing, a veteran safety yeah. who I think you know understands the league and is a solid pro. Not an All Pro, but a solid pro. Um, so, you know, it should be a good secondary. I, I think it, it has a lot of pieces to it. No doubt about it. Well, listen, we'll catch up at a time down the road here where we can sort of size up midseason what Carolina's uh, draft picks are looking like and their roster. But listen, Greg Cosell, ESPN NFL matchup, executive producer, NFL Films. Go find the podcast. I believe it's called Tapeheads. Uh, it can be found on iHeartRadio, anywhere podcasts are heard. As a fellow iHeartRadio uh, uh, alum here, congrats on that. It's a great show, Greg. Yeah, it was Thanks fun. Bob, Bob with Susan was great. Well, we had a Bob, lot of fun. Yeah, Bob's great. Yeah. yeah. You guys do a great job. And uh, listen, you guys out there, just follow Greg uh, on Twitter. Follow his work. Of course, the, the matchup show. And I was told that this is on demand now on the ESPN app. You it can is. go and find any episode, which is like a dream come true to me, by the way. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, – <clears throat> that really helped us because, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it's it, we don't have 
I guess the best times, you know, but it's a Which DVR is event insane, for most by people. The way. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. I, I'm not going to put you in a bad spot, but I'll say it. Put these guys on the draft desk next year. By God, let's make it happen. Greg Cosell, you've been too kind, man. We'll talk to you next time. All right, John, appreciate it. All right, you've been listening to the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.